This Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk includes highlights of my current affairs conversations with Dr. Robert Gates, former Secretary of Defense at the Council's February 14, 2017 International Educator of the Year Luncheon. You're listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk a World Affairs Council conversation with authoritative voices discussing significant news-making issues in individuals, sponsored by Greenberg Trowick, LLP. Because we are here to celebrate education, particularly international education, and Dr. Romer, and I know this is something that is very near and dear to your heart, and you do not sit on many boards, but you just recently joined a new board that is focused in Texas and focused on education. Tell us about that and why you decided to become a participant. Charles Butt of HEB fame has announced that he will donate $100 million to develop leadership programs for principals and superintendents in Texas public schools. And that's over and above the campus he intends to build in Austin. And it's a very pro-public education enterprise, and it is intended over time to give school districts the tools to develop their own leadership programs for principals and superintendents because of the importance that these individuals have in the quality of education in every district. And my whole family is in education. My brother was a high school principal and a teacher before that. His wife was an elementary school teacher. This is all in Kansas. My nephew is a high school teacher outside of Denver. My niece is a middle school teacher. And and I grew up, both my brother and I grew up in public schools. And all of these people and the teachers I have known tell me how critically important the quality of a principal is in a school in terms of innovation, in terms of empowering teachers, in terms of setting standards, and, and so on. And so I think this initiative, which will begin with cooperating with six school districts here in Texas and then build the program. It still will be Texas-focused, but the idea is to scale it and provide these resources of world-class experts on public education and leadership in public education so the school districts can identify among their own teachers and administrators those who have the potential to be great principals and great superintendents and give them the tools to achieve the quality that their potential suggests. So this just started about two or three months ago. The chairwoman of the board is Dr. Simmons, who was the president of Brown University for, I think, a dozen or 14 years, and the president of Vassar before that. My friend and somebody you all know, Pete Guerin, who was Secretary of the Army under me, is on the board. And it's a very diverse group of educators, public servants, and business people. So I think this is a a tremendous initiative on the part of Mr. Butt, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Well, that was the easy question. Yeah. Now, let, now let me ask you about... Now go right to my Flynn. <laughs> now let me ask you about now that we've, op-ed. Now that we've done our duty. Yeah. Now, let me ask you about an op-ed that appeared in the Wall Street Journal just a few weeks before the election, and it was titled, Trump Unfit to be President. So I would have thought that would have been enough for him not to put you on the invitation list, and perhaps... I think not, it was. Perhaps not to be, not to be a matchmaker, but... You know, there are lots of friends of Rex Tillerson in here, and we've read, and it's been reported, that you were the matchmaker. Tell us how that came about. Well, 
I mean, the interesting part of the piece, which of course nobody remembers anymore, was the basic thrust of the piece. The Wall Street Journal put the title on the piece, but the thrust of the piece was that I was very disappointed in both candidates in terms of what had been said and what had not been said in terms of international affairs, and that they both were leaving us in the dark on some of the big issues of the time, and where we weren't in the dark, we were probably deeply troubled. Anyway, I got a call from General Flynn, uh, and I was in New York, and he asked me if I could come by and talk to him and his deputy about how the NSC system works, how the National Security Council system works. And, and I went over and I saw him, and I talked about the importance of the National Security Advisor having the trust of the Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. They always had to know that he would be representing their views honestly in front of the president. He should be a, a facilitator of their access to the president, not trying to block them and so on and so forth. And we went on and we discussed that for better than an hour, during which at one time or another he brought in Steve Bannon and Jared Kushner to meet me. And then at the end, I said, well, you know, we think we ought to get you in to see the president-elect. Can you hang around until tomorrow? And I said, yes. So I went in to see him. And we sat down and he said, you know, you were really rough on me. You were rougher than Romney. <laughs> and I said, well, there were a lot of things said in the campaign about national security that caused me a lot of problems. But I said, you've been elected the president and your success is critically important for all of us. And if there's anything I can do to help you be successful, I will do it. He said, well, do you want anything? I said, no, I'm done building my resume. <laughs> uh, and uh, the one other thing, I mean, he does have a, a certain focus on appearances, and he said, well, how old are you? <laughs> and I told him, he said, well, you look pretty good for that age. <laughs> so I figured I'd pass that test at least. Um, then he asked me to evaluate the various candidates that he was considering for Secretary of State. And I did that pretty honestly. And I said, you know, the thing you need to understand is that the whole world needs to know that your Secretary of State has your complete trust and confidence that when he speaks, he is truly speaking for you. So the models are George Shultz and Ronald Reagan and Jim Baker and George H.W. Bush, not John Kerry and President Obama. And he took that aboard and he said, okay, suppose it's a completely blank slate. Who would you recommend as the best person in the country to take the job? And I said, and here's why. And I went through the rationale. I told him how I'd gotten to know Rex years and years ago through the Boy Scouts and that after scout board meetings, various places, Rex and I often would find a place for a cigar and a glass of whiskey and talk about the world. And I just came away. I said, there's a man of complete and total integrity. He will put down his corporate responsibilities and when he raises his hand to take that oath, his only goal will be to do what's in the best interest of the American people. I said, I don't think you can do any better. And it's clear that it had never occurred to him before. He clearly was intrigued, and as they say, the rest is history. Were you the one who first approached Mr. Tillerson to see if he'd have any interest in the job? No, I didn't have that job. <laughs> but, I, but I did fairly quickly email Rex and apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I think I may have, just so done, much you for a, the ranch. May have done you a terrible disservice. <laughs>
Our sponsor, Greenberg Trowick, has more than 2,000 attorneys in 38 offices in the United States, Latin America, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East, and is celebrating its 50th anniversary. A single entity worldwide, Greenberg Trowick has been recognized for its philanthropic giving, was named the second largest firm in the U.S. by Law 360 in 2016, and among the top 20 on the 2016 The American Lawyer Global 100. You know, and President Trump has appeared to be unwilling to criticize Russia, and just this morning as we were walking into the hotel, we saw that in the New York Times at least, it reported that Russia has perhaps violated one of the treaties in testing a cruise missile. Have you discussed your views on Russia with President Trump? And if so, what is his reaction? We did discuss Russia to a certain extent, and I basically said to him what I said to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee when I introduced Rex. I said the challenge that you have is figuring out how to thread the needle between pushing back against Putin's aggressions, interventionism, meddling, general bullying and thuggery on the one hand, and figuring out how to stop what I regard as an increasingly dangerous downward spiral in the relationship. And I said, and I think it begins with pushing back because Putin is a classic bully and until he knows there are limits, he will just keep pushing. In some ways, he reflects the philosophy. Not very many people in this room are old enough to remember Nikita Khrushchev, but Khrushchev had the line, what's mine is mine and what's yours is negotiable. I think that's kind of Putin's attitude. And so I think, I don't think he's crazy, and I think that confronted, he will, he will back off. You know, I do want to go back to your book for a minute because I read it when it first came out. In fact, bought copies for my son-in-law and for my son and truly do recommend it to our audience. But that gets me back to an, another op-ed you wrote, the kind of president we need that appeared in the Washington Post. And you wrote this in December 2015, And you said, or wrote, the next president should speak truthfully to the American people to understand that building coalitions and making compromises are the only ways anything lasting can get done. And you'd concluded by saying that the new president must be a true unifier of Americans. What advice would you give President Trump now that he's entering the fourth week of his presidency? Well, I'd say he ought to get to work on that agenda. What concrete items might he try to do right now? Does he need to restructure, reorganize some of the people that he's hired? Are we going to see more resignations and firing? You've talked about that a lot in the book. You have to pick the right time to fire people. First of all, so President Obama was the eighth president I worked for. So I saw a lot of transitions. And every administration, every new president and White House staff has a challenge in making the transition from campaigning to governing. They all do. And I remember when I was taking part in the transition meetings in Chicago between Bush 43 and Obama. Obama was talking about all of the executive orders he was going to sign on torture and Guantanamo and so on and so forth. And the guy who would become White House counsel, Greg Craig, said... Now, just kind of slow down, Mr. President-elect. I was there at the beginning of the Clinton administration, and we rushed through a whole bunch of executive orders, and we were in such a hurry 
we later had to redo about a third of them. So this is not exactly new terrain. And they all have this problem also of sort of going from a campaign where you don't let any criticism, any slight, any issue go unanswered. Everything has to be responded to, to a place where you pick your shots and you decide what fights you want to have. The other challenge that this administration has, and it's a serious one, is that no one in a senior position in the White House has ever worked in government, especially now that General Flynn's gone. But he was an intelligence officer. He was never close to the decision-making process or the interagency process or anything like that. So for all practical purposes, there was no experience in this entire upper level of this administration who have any experience in government. And it is different than business. And I talk a little bit about that in, in the book as well. There are a lot of similarities when you want to bring change but in terms of how things operate, there are also some pretty significant differences. You know, when you think back to, let's say, the Reagan administration, and you had Jim Baker in the White House, emerging as chief of staff, you get the flavor, and, and then you go to Bush 41, and you had Baker as Secretary of State, you had Scowcroft as National Security Advisor, you had Sununu, who'd been the governor of New Hampshire, I was the Deputy National Security Advisor, so this White House had a fair number in senior levels of the administration. It had quite a few people who had a lot of experience in government. So I think this is going to be a challenge for them. And, and then the other piece of the challenge is that it's never going to end well when you have five or six different power centers within the White House. And I'm told that that's the way it was at the Clinton administration at the very beginning until Leon Panetta was brought in as chief of staff and established discipline in the process and sort of introduced regular order of business without everybody being able to run into the president and have his ear. So I think that you, with all these different centers of power and all of these people sort of jockeying for position and access and everything else, it's going to be a turbulent shakeout period. I think it'll probably take several months. Most White Houses go through this. I will tell you, I mean, there's probably never been a more experienced national security team than Bush 41 brought in with him. And yet, even we, when we went through our first couple of crises, realized we had to make some changes in the way we were organized in order to deal better with crises and problems. And happily, that all happened very early in the administration, so we sort of got ourselves uh, sorted out uh, so we could do that. So, you know, I, I guess my general view is these problems that I've just outlined are very real. Some aspects of them are not unique to this administration. The lack of experience in government is. And frankly, if I were advising, I would say, you know, I think it would be helpful to have some folks who, who know their way around the halls and based on some of the things that I've read, can figure out where the light switch is in the cabinet room to help. And, and one of the challenges is there's so much emphasis on the 100 days, where in your book you talk about when you take a new position of responsibility, maybe you should take time and really assess who's around you and what the procedures are.
Thank you for listening to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. Subscribe to Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk on iTunes. For information about a World Affairs Council in your community, visit worldaffairscouncils.org. Global IQ Minute is sponsored by Greenberg Trowick LLP. Visit them at gtlaw.com. Thank you.